Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Humility Gap podcast. I'm Bethan Willis, and throughout this series, I'll be talking to academics, politicians, and public figures to find out how we can become more open-minded. We'll be looking at the virtue of intellectual humility in order to help us really focus in on the habits and practices which can enable us to become more open-minded. In this week's podcast, we talk to Nadia Figaro, former Director of Leadership and Change at the Rhodes Trust. We talk about her work helping Rhodes Scholarship students to reflect on and develop their character. And we take a particular focus on how this group of high achieving students from across the globe have sought to develop open-mindedness and humility. Nadia highlights the need for vulnerability, accountability and engagement with difference. And in our discussion, we also touch on the complexities of dealing with the legacy of Cecil Rhodes and the Rhodes Must Fall campaign. So it's lovely to be here today with Nadia Figaro um, to record our next Humility Gap podcast. Welcome, Nadia. Thank you for having me. Um, and so to begin, we're going to talk about um, your work, particularly you came to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar yourself, and now you're here as Dean of Scholarships and Director of Leadership and Change at the Rhodes Trust. You're also a trustee of Jamaica's National Education Trust. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're preparing students and young people to be leaders of the future and perhaps what the key challenges you see them facing now and uh, going forward? Absolutely. Uh, I feel extremely fortunate to work with the scholars here, especially because in some ways we all look back and we all think about, well, you know, with that, that perspective, what perhaps would I have taken on differently, you know, or what would I have done more of or done less of? And I feel as though in returning 10 years after having first come up, I get that opportunity to engage with those what ifs, not only with me, but with young people who are in that place themselves. And when I think of the challenges that they are facing, there's some that are specific to them in their kind of road scholar identity and community. Uh, which has to do with even the process of, of winning the scholarship, which has everything to do with having presented yourself, you know, as highly accomplished, as high achieving, um, being able to have mastered an intellectual area, but then gone above and beyond, service oriented. Um, and as actually said in the will, and still there in our criteria for selection, moral instincts to lead. So, for most young people, that means that you have done well at presentation to world. It can also mean at the sacrifice of working on and with yourself, you know, and working with others from a vantage point of, I was actually going to say humility. I was actually going to say humility. That's a good word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you come here and in some ways it's, it's a bit of like the rug being pulled from underneath you. It's a big transitionary point, you know, because as those of us who love Oxford are aware of, like, it will, it will challenge you. It will contest you. It may happen in your tutorial. It may happen in your lab. It may happen in your college. Um, it may happen in just being confronted for some by the colonial legacy of the place. Um, and so we have this opportune moment of, well, while things are in flux, how about we pay attention to some things that you potentially could have gotten away with not having to have paid 
as much attention to. And oh, by the way, these things are essential to exactly what it is you said that you wanted to come here to support you in achieving in the first place, being someone who can serve and make a positive impact in the world. Uh, so I think one of the things that's hard for them is carving out the time and space to do that work that isn't as immediately and externally validated. You know, what do you mean reflecting on character? What do you mean like actually carving out and prioritizing my own practices, you know, of solitude, of reflection? You know, what do you mean taking the energy and the effort to seek out those who are coming from particularly like separate perspectives from mine to like build the kind of relationships where we can meaningfully share and get through debate and get through difference to a place of, okay, but this is what we can appreciate about what we're bringing to the table. You're not going to get a distinction for any of that. And it's not going to neatly fit as a line on a CV. Uh, but what we get to say is, oh, by the way, those of us who have given you the scholarship, we actually feel that this is an important thing that you can utilize this opportunity to do. Throughout the Rhodes Scholars Leadership Programme, you try to encourage students to reflect on their own values, their assumptions and thought processes, and the relationships that are at play between themselves, others, and the world at large. Mm -hmm. So how do you enable students to engage in this kind of deep self-reflection, and what are the results that you're seeing? Hmm, it's interesting. I start with the extremely practical. This kind of work takes time and space. So even the expectation that part of what you are going to be doing on this scholarship, part of what we hope you will take advantage of as an opportunity, is to be reflective on, well, what are the values I've had? What's the vision that's propelled me in my life? And why that's important is because this is such a moment of transition. And for many, actually, disruption or kind of discomfort, you're used to being on top of wherever you are. You've come to a new place. This place can be confronting. We hope it will be intellectually challenging, but for many, it's socially confronting. There are all types of different conversations going on in the back of the minds. So I think the first thing that we aim to do for our scholars is to set the expectation that this inner work on how do I want to show up, what's evolving for me, are there some values I held on to that are now being contradicted or contended with? Um, how am I taking advantage of the fact that I'm in a place with people coming with so many different perspectives values as well, you know, ways of being, am I going to engage with that to kind of further affirm who I am? Am I going to borrow from some of them? Am I going to try some new things on? Am I well going to be able to integrate over two years things that I admire in others to work on things that I feel maybe were deficit in, you know, who I am thus far? Um, so really creating the time and space and setting that as an expectation has been really important. Something that we're fortunate with is that we have this tremendous community. So when we talk about the Rhodes Scholars, yes, we talk about, you know, the roughly 230 who are resident in Oxford, you know, pursuing their degrees. But then we also talk about the over 5,000 who are all over the world. And what we've been able to do with this program is to find these kind of pivotal moments to bring in senior scholars 10 to 15 years out for our retreats. But then there are other instances in which we bring back people who are 30 years out, 40 years out. So why I say that is because that intergenerationality and then, of course, that cross-geography brings a perspective, you know, for the scholars that we are doing this program with and for. Because naturally then you're almost forced to step outside of what you've seen as the only way. The only way of being virtuous, the only way of having character, the only way of serving, the only way of leading. And it's not, oh, Nadia, the dean, or Elizabeth, the warden. It's, no, it's these other, like, scholars just 10 years ahead on their trajectory. And look how they've evolved over those 10 years. And look at them interacting with each other. And what does that tell you about how you could be interacting with your peers? 
Um, so the intergenerationality, the intercross geography, I guess bringing to bear kind of the multiplicity of perspectives and personalities that we have. Um, so that hopefully a lot of it happens organically and is not forced and it happens through people. But then on the back side of it, there is a lot of deliberation and conscious intentionality around method and pedagogy. Okay. In, yeah. So you're so you're kind of taking advantage of the discomfort of this place or yes. this kind of place of discomfort and saying actually this is a good thing we can work with this and also drawing that intergenerational which actually many uh, university students aren't exposed to are they not in a in in this kind of meaningful um, relationship so. In fact, you're in a vacuum from the rest of the world, aren't you, on purpose? Maybe you have younger siblings, they're no longer there. Maybe there's a grandparent, there were definitely older people other than your professors. And then especially here, oh my gosh, you're in a doctorate. Maybe you're seeing a supervisor every other week. Otherwise, it's other really driven, really ambitious, highly accomplished, angst, anxiety laden. (laughs) And the sense of perspective is just... Is not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we have found it is... It is truly useful for that honest reflection and then that critical engagement with self and with each other mm-hmm. is bringing in those different perspectives and kind of immersive experiences and then giving you the time and space to really be in that, but then also to be with yourself and then to take your own initiative in working on what you want to work on coming up from those, those experiences. The work that you're doing is pretty intense. Are there ways that we could think about how we um, start to understand the emotions and experiences of others um, perhaps where we don't have that kind of intense um, time period. Mm-hmm. Um, is there learning that we can do? And do you think that that does um, move through to allowing us to be more open-minded? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, let's think about that first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how does it work out in wider public life and discourse? That think? is such a great thing. Um, I do feel that there's some kinds of work that are better done or perhaps even only done in proximity. So I think like that appreciation of like what requires person to person is important, especially in this world of like social media, rapid media, all of it. Sometimes we feel, or we can through virtual platforms accomplish everything. We can accomplish a lot that we were never able to accomplish, but there, there are just certain things that can only be done when I can see your eyes and I can read your body language and I can. So just thinking in that way, I immediately think of, um, Exposure is important. Separate and apart from education, formally, exposure is important. So like those little projects that take kids from one place, like literally across whatever the boundary may be to another place, in some way that's immersive without making it a full-on deliberation, without anything around reflection, just that experience, I think gets to the heart of the open-mindedness and the curiosity and the humility that you're talking about. Um, it's funny because when people say to me, oh, you know, you're at Rhodes House, I have young kids. You know, what can I do to make sure my kids are Rhodes Scholar? Love them, empower them, help them to be comfortable in their skin, confident in how they are, especially in a world that's ambiguous and complex, and give them exposures. And again, not just the usual, oh, I'm building my child's CV exposures, but you're building their moral life exposures, which means you, you rub them up on some challenges, right? You put them in some contentious environments. But that within that exposure... There needs to be a kind of attitude of exploration and understanding, perhaps, right? I'm thinking of the way that perhaps we travel now in this kind of Instagram world, right? So we have travelled, we have exposed ourselves in some sort of way to, um, you know, perhaps all the continents available. uh, But have we really understood or engaged 
So there are different ways of ex- exposing ourselves, right? I'm so glad that you brought up that point. Absolutely. It's work. Like, it's meant to be work. It's work. You yeah. know, it's meant to be work. Yeah. And not, not the arduous kind of um, no joy in it, no light in it kind of work. Much more like, oh, I came out of that change than how I went in. It took something. You know, it required of me to give something. And I think, actually, your parents make those choices for you when you're younger. Like, what are some of the hard things I'm going to put you in that are going to take from you in a way that's going to help you to understand that life will take, but hopefully you will gain some autonomy over what you're giving it. So it's work that's rewarding to you and choose well, you know, but if you haven't had that in your early childhood years, I have definitely seen, and these are incredible instances where a young person themselves will evolve that resolve and look for opportunities to test themselves. You know, that's a whole thing with failure and courage as well. Like when I got myself beat up for the first time by something, metaphorically, did I run away and never show up for it again? You know, or did I, you know, did I reflect on, okay, how am I going to take care of myself in this? Do I have some support to take this on? Let me go in again. You know, and so I think you're spot on about how, how important it is to, I guess, to gain an appreciation of what does that for you and to seek those things out for yourself. But when you're someone who has kind of the stewardship over someone else, that you need to create those opportunities and that they won't thank you for them. Yeah. I I, I like what you're saying about giving of yourself. I think that's probably the key kind of turning point, isn't it? Where you're not just seeking some kind of good for yourself, but there is a mutual exchange that's going on. Yeah. We've kind of touched on this already. The Rhodes Trust has an aim to bring together a group of scholars from different backgrounds and viewpoints to openly debate, um, challenge each other's thinking and generate new ideas. Mm So um, what are the skills or tools that scholars need to be able to do this well, to draw out their differences and engage in mutually enriching open-minded conversations? Perhaps you've talked about some of those things. Um, The Roads Must Fall campaign Mm -hmm. perhaps was a significant conversation in Oxford over the past few years. How have you and your students sought to reflect on Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Roads Must Fall really kicked off and was at its heights. Um, for the trust and for the house before I came. When I came up in for, the, for this role in the early fall of 2016, uh, I would have been feeling and living more of the knock-on effects. And in many ways, my role and the kind of work that I do here would not have been possible without Rose Must Fall. I think I can say that. Um, my colleagues would have had to have dealt more with like the heyday of like, oh, you know, um, there are decisions that need to be made and statements that need to, need to be clarified around how do we stand on legacy? How do we stand on this man and his life? How do we stand for me, most importantly, present day on all of the ways in which what he was involved in and what he was at the forefront of as far as colonialism and like an imperial enterprise still impacts the present. Well, what are we doing about that? In the programming that we do, this this idea of the complexity on every level, including in the South, of shadow and light, of those who are most driven and are able to perform to, but also deliver on what world is expecting, accomplished and achieved, are given broader ambit, wider ambit, to do all sorts, hopefully mostly good, but sometimes downright evil. And if you're not paying attention to that from this stage, 
Like the story of Cecil gives us so much to lean into. Like what he did with his Oxford years, like the mapping of his friendship groups, his understanding of like the combination of like individual, exceptional, but then collective unified vision. That was all happening for him in a particular direction. So for scholars to feel, particularly those who are most confronted, you know, so we aim for every scholar to be aware of the man, to take their own view on his history. You know, we purposefully include multiple obituaries, all published kind of at the moment of his death and with very different points of view on who he was and like how he represented England, including those who felt, oh, he did not fly the flag in a way that we can be pleased with. Really fascinating. Um, and so we encourage scholars to go into that, especially for those who are coming from places where Cecil who, you know, the Rhodes is a scholarship, that's it. But then we also particularly, and I'm passionate about this, for the scholars for whom there is confrontation, and for some they would use the word trauma in coming into a building in which there is visual representation of, in which in the main hall there are tapestries at the end that juxtapose Madiba, Nelson Mandela, to Cecil. You know, and you know, you're coming to Oxford, you may have just got off a plane for the first time in your life. You know, you're, you're trying to figure things out and you walk into this place that's been reaching out to say, we're going to be your home, we're going to be your home, welcome to this community. And maybe you're a black South African, maybe this is what you walk into. So it is, it is integral to, in the most sincere way, be able to take from that what's empowering, what's empowering, you know, what in this person, you know, is giving me some insight into, again, being aware of the, the, the possibility, but also the dark and the underbelly of power, of privilege. Um, speaking truth. I think there's a way in which roads must fall. You know, and other student-led campaigns for making more visible injustices and unfairnesses that are perpetuated. Um, one could disagree with style, one could disagree then with emphasis, one could disagree with, well, what's then next, the immediate step? Is it symbolic? Is it substantive? Well, are those things even separate and apart? There's a lot to disagree with. For me, it's difficult at all to disagree with the fact that there are things that need to be said. And that if part of what we're seeing the process is, is sitting in yourself and understanding yourself more so you can like actually engage with others in a way where you're able to evolve with each other, then if this is part of the truth, this is how you feel being here, then that has to be said as well. Then that has to be said as well. So we got a lot of practice. We got a lot of practice and like what this time and space to say things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. But you know what does that look like? New conversations perhaps that maybe weren't happening before. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. To new conversations that weren't happening before and to a focus on substantive things like, well, what does what do our demographics look like? You know, what are we are we collecting data on for each constituency? Like what's the base of tertiary educated? And then who's applying? Are there groups that we're not seeing at all? You know, and in one part of the world that would have very little, if anything, at all to do with Cecil. But Cecil reminds us to pay attention. Like reminds us to pay attention to that. Yeah. Okay, and this whole character and service kind of uh, leadership and ethos has um, really risen in significance for absolutely as well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and that balance—that balance of the shadow and light. Yeah, that balance of the shadow, because I mean, the worst thing is when you get so righteously indignant that you can't pay attention to the fact that you have your own shadows, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So let's move on to another question. We're thinking about the uh, scholars program still. Mm-hmm. And within that, you we've probably touched on this a little bit already. You encourage students to express vulnerability in their work and leadership. And you contrast that with performative leadership mm-hmm. practices. So why is vulnerability important? Um, and what is this kind of performative leadership that you see? Can mm-hmm. you kind of contrast those two? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is before even approaching concept of our practices of leadership, you know, so we're still just with us as people. Um, And again, in this particular, you know, grouping and understanding, okay, who are our learners? There is that sense of you've been rewarded, you have won something that is prestigious uh, because you perform well to whatever the expectations are in the institution and the community and context that you're in. But do we feel and do you most importantly feel that that's going to be the track to take you to the place you intend to go, you know, responding to the expectations that have been set, performing and outperforming them, you know, and we appreciate that you show up to a new context, which already feels demanding, and the clutch may be to perform your way through this as well. So why it is that we emphasize vulnerability so much, and to note that the words change, there's a bit of a semantic game because at one point it will feel authenticity will catch more of a resonance. At another point, it's vulnerability. Um, and then, of course, in different languages, different ways of getting at these core concepts. But the I like the unmasking, the taking off the mask of performing to the interview panel, you know, of performing on stage or performing on the field, of performing behind the laptop to craft that essay just the way that professor in that class wants it and needs it. Um, asking you to put that down so that you can do that work of messing some, some up, you know, for saying to you, check your assumptions, you know, let go of some of those absolutes, not to necessarily let go of them forever, but do you have a moment to explore them, examine them, expand a bit, maybe to come right back to them on stronger footing, or maybe to take them in a different direction. But that means that sureness and that this is who I am and not only this is who I am, but I'm great at it, that got you here is not going to be so helpful or useful. Not for you, and then definitely not when you get in groups with each other and then you're performing your greatness to each other, which we all do, which we all do all the time. You know, and I- That's exacerbated in this kind of context, right? Where you were just talking about that. Or do you think we will do it all the time in every I think we do it all the time. Okay. I think we do it all the time. I think what's amazing is that there are these opportunities to disrupt it. Yeah. So do you see that as linked to humility, that ability to kind of unmask and be comfortable in that place? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting because with humility, I think, again, of our layered approach and, okay, we're working with individual scholars, working with themselves, and then we're hoping to facilitate a dynamic of groups and cohorts. And then this is also about preparing all of us for how we are in the world. Um, of course, it's not, you know, clean and fast separations, but that's the model and the layers that we think of in everything we do. And with humility, what strikes me is that it's something we can talk a lot about how it's lacking in the world, you know, and how it's showing up in leaders or how it's lacking in business places or. But personally, if you're not humble to what you are not yet aware of, why would you do this hard work that we're talking about? Like if you're not humble to there may be assumptions or absolutes that I'm carrying in me that are harmful for me and my own potential, definitely harmful to the people around me that I love, much less the ones that I'm working with and then eventually the ones who will be working for me 
that I'm going to have some type of authority over and definitely for the world that I already am an influencer in and that I'm being set up to have impact in, you know? So I think you, you can get to that shallow kind of, oh, be humble in your aspirations or be humble in, I don't know, how you choose to say things or the style of how you present yourself. And those can be important, I think, different signifiers of how approachable you are, how accessible you are, um, or how seriously you're taking the fact that you're not superior to anyone. Um, but for me, the bigger goal is like, can you actually be humble in there's further to go? There are things I don't know. Yeah. There are things, things that I've got wrong. That you, yeah. Things that I will get wrong. Yeah. Like I absolutely will make some huge mistakes that are going to be significant, not just for me. So let me get busy setting up my accountability mechanisms to help me keep in check. Let me do that from now because I'm fallible and flawed. Yeah. You know, and maybe I've done some of that humble work of how am I particularly flawed? What are some of my ugly sides? Yeah. You know, again, the different language. We talk about the inner monster. We talk about the shadows, shadow and light. And if you're willing to do that work, then you can get even more targeted on, oh, I have an ego issue. I really like to be liked. I need someone in my corner who can tap me on the shoulder and be like, right now you are acting out of your obsession of always being right, always being liked. It's messing up in the following ways. Yeah. So if we're going to have good, um, open-minded dialogue amongst other things, um, don't we need to kind of recognize when other people are displaying virtue, even when we disagree with them? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking particularly of um, discussions I've had with students where um, we said, you know, tell us about somebody with great character, a leader with great character. And often they would pick people that they agreed with, mm -hmm. so whose policy right. matched their own values. But really to kind of move through that to... Um, to have good open-minded dialogue, we, we're not going to agree on every policy decision, are we? Or even perhaps the values that are informing them. But we can see something slightly deeper in the intentions of those mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who are making decisions um, that we could identify as virtuous or as good character. Mm -hmm. That even when we have deep disagreements, we can say, we know that your, I, I guess, heart is in the right place mm -hmm, but there's mm -hmm. something about the way that you're trying to do this which we appreciate even when we have deep disagreement I think that seems to be quite crucial to having good open-minded dialogue and equally for your students as leaders mm -hmm. there will be times when they have disagreements but mm -hmm. they need to know that there's some fundamental place where they're kind of on the same page so how how do you think that works how can we recognize virtuous behavior in others I feel there's a lot of work prior to being able to legitimately, collectively call out and affirm virtuous behavior. That means then that there would have been a shared understanding prior to what we agree to is that virtuous behavior. You know, as you put it, I love, in Jamaica, we'd say that your spirit is clean. You know, clean spirited, clean spirit, clean hat. Um, or that we can, we can trust and respect in your intentions. Um, or as I say here, when people say, what's the requirement, you know, for this weekend, good faith, that I can take you in good faith, that requires time and space. I think it requires a level of intimacy. So even listening to that question, I think, again, of how our political systems and kind of systems of discourse are currently set up, there is the opposite of that. There's an opposite of that. Now, again, I haven't studied cognition and brain development, but I wonder almost if kind of the risk the quality of being able to take a risk and the quality of being braggadocio and the part of the brain that registers that probably just requires less. I can probably tell within not long of a span that you're a risk taker. Now, how do I tell 
that you're clean spirited, clean hearted of good intentions. You got to come under certain pressures. It's not just what you said. You got to show up. You, maybe it takes a little bit longer. Now across context, you know, where cultural cues and signals are different, that might take even longer. I'm going to have to get across some misperceptions, some misunderstanding. I'm going to have to get across some things that I genuinely disagree with you on, would debate you on, or coming from different places to then arrive at. But in these ways, on these things, oh no, I can actually, I regard you as well intended. Yeah. So it's hard work. But I think you've said, you said earlier, um, before we started um, talking, uh, that the more we seek to um, educate ourselves in virtue or to work on our own um, characters, the more aware we will be of the character of others. Also, the hard work that building character is. You know, involves. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so we'll give others more leeway, perhaps, on that. But we will have our kind of our antenna will kind of be up. Yeah. We'll be looking yeah. out for it, right? Yeah. And I think part of it as well is that if you have a, um, if you have a grouping that doesn't share home experiences, doesn't share cultural norms, doesn't share kind of social clues and signals. That means that you are constructing together from scratch. Well, what are our norms going to be? You know, how are we going to cue each other in and signal to each other good, bad, spectrum of right, wrong? And the fact is the more that each person in that grouping has done that work for themselves, is a more that they can show up to that process of constructing something together, creating language that makes sense to each other, you know, agreeing on what accountability looks like. Um, and so the world that we're in now, in some ways, you're helping me to realize how it is that we ended up taking such a focus on there's some work that you have to do with yourself in order to show up to the work with being with each other, in order to show up to the world in the way that you would intend to. Yeah. You know, it's all held together and it's a trajectory. You don't get to show up in the world with all that without having done that work with yourself and taken advantage of the opportunities that you have to do hard work with each other. <laughs>